happy Friday and welcome to Up and Coming, a podcast which is dedicated to discovering exciting up and coming artists from around the world, hosted by me, Evie, and by Sean. Each week we'll chat to a different artist about their life, music, and inspirations, whilst leaving plenty of time to share some of their best tracks with you. Today's episode is all about Misa McGregor, a singer-songwriter from LA. I started by asking Misa what made her want to become a musician. Ooh, good question. Well, I actually grew up into a musical family, so both of my parents play, um, they were classical musicians, and that's how they met, actually. Um, My mom was playing the flute in an orchestra, my dad played trumpet, they met working at the LA Philharmonic, and so music was always a part of my life and a part of my upbringing, and in fact, between me and my brother, there was sort of a rule that we had to be involved or taking lessons with one, at least one musical instrument. So um, I started piano at an early age, as did my brother. And then I started singing once I was about 10 years old. And I think when I, I started writing songs when I was 12, and I think that was sort of when something clicked in me a little bit that, oh, I have this, I, I'm able to write a song and put out, you know, what I'm feeling into music. And that was really a nice and new discovery for me. And so I think that might've been the first time I really thought, oh, this might be something that I could do. And then upon graduating college uh, and not getting hired for a job anywhere, <laughs> I decided to get back into music and really learn how to do music within the current industry, which is like, you know, you have bedroom pop and people are just, you know, have some people are even making songs like off of like recording on their iPhone, you know, and uh, that was just so new to me because I had grown up in the classical world. And so I sort of spent like the last two years teaching myself how to produce my own music. So I guess if anything, two years ago was when I really decided like, you know, I think I really want to do this as an adult and and try to make something, even if it doesn't turn into like a full on career, like this is something that is always, music is always going to be a part of my life. And so I just figured why not dive right in. And what lessons did you learn about music from your parents? I guess the biggest thing I learned was just like, keep going. (laughs) If you make a mistake, you're probably the only one who's going to notice it. So just keep going. And as much as you're there to perform and to express yourself, you're there to be an entertainer for others. So don't take away from their experience of the performance by getting hard on yourself in the midst of the performance. And then which artists are you the most inspired by and what are the qualities about them that you admire? Oh, man, these are such good questions. First of all, I'm like really having to think. (laughs) I grew up listening to so many different artists, but I would have to say I feel like a broken record whenever I talk about them because I talk about them so much. But I love Tegan and Sarah, the Canadian band, and they were they were the first people that I saw who were queer women who were just like making music and talking about being queer. And they just had this really authentic vibe to them that I hadn't seen with other performers And I think that was sort of a moment for me where I thought, oh, I can be myself and do music. I don't have to conform to this one type of musician or one type of artist. And their initiatives that they've done to provide opportunities for the queer community, particularly for queer youth, has been really inspiring to me to see how they use their platform as a space to create social good. You know, it's not just about art for art's sake. It's art that's meaningful. So what do you enjoy most about being a musician? 
honestly, I love the connections that I'm able to make, even just being able to talk to you both right now. Like this, I mean, the way that I got in contact with you was technically through music. And I think probably my biggest passion of all, if I was really to have to look at, you know, what is my life about? I'm, I'm so passionate about making connections with people. And I think music is the perfect way to do that because you sort of get to go into this deeper layer immediately. You know, you connect with people emotionally. You're not having to go through all of the pleasantries of like, hello, how are you doing? Small chat or whatever. And with music, you can just say what you need to say and people will know exactly what you're saying if the music is, you know, effective in that way enough. And um, I think the opportunities I've been afforded as an artist in being able to make those kinds of genuine connections with people has probably been the best part. So let's dive straight into your album, Kid in the Corner. Mm -hmm. It was released over a month ago. What's the reaction to it been like? It's been really sweet. I, I essentially, I'm, I'm like a one person operation on this whole thing. So throughout the, you know, recording of it, I recorded, produced, mixed it all by myself in the back bedroom of my childhood home. And so putting it out too, it was kind of like, oh, now it's time to release this thing that literally I'm the only person who's heard it. And so I had no idea how anybody else would hear it. But I had such a really lovely and heartwarming response from friends who I haven't been able to see because of COVID. And I ended up doing this really sweet like Instagram live release party, which was essentially me just sort of geeking out about the fact that people are listening to <laughs> the album. And I played a couple songs on the piano and it's just been really, really nice to hear different people's perspective on the album and see what tracks speak to them specifically. It's a really personal album and very vulnerable. And so to be met with such warmth is really reassuring, but also uh, really humbling at the same time. You mentioned there that you wrote, recorded and produced the whole album. So what was that like? Oh, it was overwhelming, but I also... I set myself up to struggle <laughs> because I am very, very stubborn. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to develop these skills. I don't care what anybody else says. Also, I didn't have the money or the connections to like pay somebody else to come in and produce it. And, uh, and so it, it, it was a huge, huge learning curve for me. Luckily, with that learning curve, I gained so many different avenues to explore what I wanted my sound to be like. And and I think that ultimately my sound is will continually evolve and what it is for this album is just that for this album. But it was both freeing because I didn't have to, you know, live up to anybody else's expectations of what it was supposed to sound like. But then again, it was also kind of kind of scary and intimidating because it was completely just like me. And I was sort of like, wow, I really hope this doesn't sound like trash. You know, I, don't have, I have nobody else telling me whether it sounds good or bad. So let's just, you know, <laughs> hope that I put my best foot forward and other people like it. And you wrote these tracks over the last five years. So can you describe what the songwriting process was like? Yeah, generally when I sit down to write a song, I, it sort of depends on my mood, but most often I'll just sit at the piano and start playing around. Probably the the best songs come out of when I don't expect to write them. I just sit at the piano and I'm I'm a I've always been a very emotional person, almost annoyingly so. And the music was sort of a way to be like, throw your emotions at this and don't bother anybody else with them. <laughs> and that's a healthy way to deal with it. And so 
most of the time that's what songwriting is to me it's just being able to you know write out what I'm feeling but then also kind of explore the depths of it too and through songwriting I'm also able to sort of uncover some subconscious layers of what's going on with myself it's funny because I uh when I first started taking piano lessons as a kid, I was like a notoriously bad student. I would not practice. And instead I would come in every week and they'd be like, so play us your scales, play what you prepared for us. And I would just be like, you know, I could do that, but also I would really love to just like talk about what my week has been like, you know, (laughs) they were like, this is not therapy, but okay, fine. We're getting paid no matter what. (laughs) So I feel like songwriters songwriting is very much the same thing of just like it's basically therapy for me except I don't have to go into debt for it (laughs) I hope you sent a link to those piano teachers of your new album just to say look I can do more than scales (laughs) I really should I have I think I'm friends with like one of them on Facebook I should definitely do that and be like you know what something did come out of those lessons I hope you know (laughs) (laughs) so which song did you find the most challenging to write on the album Oh man, another good question. I guess I would say, well, probably the hardest song for me to, it was easy to write, but it was difficult to record, was B Major. That song, I i knew that I wanted, it's the last track of the album. I wanted it to just be piano and voice because ultimately at the end of the day, those are my roots that I'll always go back to. And in terms of literally setting up like the the equipment to record it, I've been blessed to grow up with a grand piano in my childhood home. And so I took my microphone and just sort of set it up out there and had the mic just take in, in one take, do voice and piano. And it's a really kind of unpolished in comparison to the other tracks on the album. But I, I was happy to have it that way though, because this was the grand piano that I wrote my first song on. And, um, it was the the one that I grew up with. And so it was difficult to record that only because I I had this expectation of I want it to sound raw, but I don't want it to sound too raw. And then also that song is really personal. And so singing it and recording it and being like, oh, other people are going to listen to this. And I'm willingly putting it out there was sort of a, a daunting prospect. The major is the only key that I can If you don't want the truth, then go back a check The major makes me feel like red, like the phoenix I die for And I meet my B major again as we roll in the edge I left a lot of things untouched cause I can't stand to hear at least not in my own voice It settles right between my nose and my chest Sometimes I scream into the wall Just to tell them I miss them I've started picking out my meals from my brain to the toy It sucks because I hate myself But I'm smarter than they told me as a child It took me 20 fucking years to see how much I'm worth it And I'm still doing shit like this 
It's one of my favorite songs on the album just because it's it's so like it is what it is without any, you know, production or anything. And so it was it was nice to be able to record that and come back home, if you will. Can you tell us the story behind that track? Yeah, I actually wrote that track when I was in college. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, but then I went to school in Connecticut. I wanted to get seemingly at the time as far away from home as possible. Although as far in the country, I could have gone, you know, anywhere internationally, I suppose, because I I had that privilege. But either way, I was in school. And uh, most of the time when I was overwhelmed or even just bored, I would go to the practice rooms. And that song, for some reason, just sort of came out when I was at this real low point. I think it was in my last year of school and about to graduate. And I I felt like I had no control over my surroundings or what my life was going to be like. I had no real plan for what I was doing after I graduated. And in, throughout the album, I have sort of talked about my own experience with eating disorders. And because of that stress of not knowing what my life was going to be, my eating disorder symptoms became really severe at that point because it was, you know, my attempt to control something in my life. And when I was really struggling with those thoughts, that song just sort of came out and it was kind of a great way to, you know, sort of keep me distracted from those thoughts as well, because I think a lot of people don't think about eating disorders in this way, but it's very much like an addiction and an obsession and um, to be able to have music to placate those seemingly like impossible feelings was a really nice way to be like, no, if I just take a breath and put my energy towards something that's productive and not going to be harmful to myself, then I'm okay. You know, I can get through this and, and music has taught me that anything that once felt impossible to me throughout my life, music has always offered me sort of a place of solace and um it has been really, really comforting in that way. Yeah, because one of the things that I love the most about this album is how personal it is and how raw it is. And I think it is so brave that you share these songs and let people in on these moments of your life. And I was wondering if there was any song in particular that you were the most nervous to release? Well, probably, yeah, B major. And then I think maybe the other one that I was nervous to release was well, it's funny, actually. Um, there's this one song, She Was Worlds Above Me, which was like the first gay song I wrote <laughs> like ever in my life as like a songwriter. I have throughout the years sort of been figuring out, okay, I grew up around a lot of homophobia, whether it was overt or you know just implied. And and so then coming to terms with my own queer identity has been really, you know, it's it will continue to be a lifelong journey. But that song in particular is like, the one song that I've written about like my queerness that is not self-deprecating. And uh, that was surprisingly new for me. And so I don't know if I was actually, I think I was nervous when I first put that song out actually a year ago, I put it out as a single and made like a lyric video with it and uh, really wanted to present it as this, you know, fun 
innocent song about, you know, discovering your first love sort of as a way to reclaim what my first experience was, which wasn't nearly as, you know, ideal. But uh, I think putting it out the second time, I was sort of nervous, like, are people still going to like the song now that I've re-recorded it and reproduced it? And surprisingly, that's actually been the one that's gained the most attention off of the album, which I think is just really sweet. She wanted to ask him to be her date to the middle school dance about a month away. About a month away. She planned a surprise to sing him a song. I regret that I helped her. It wasn't that long, but anyway. sweet and innocent song about you know like you have a crush on this person this person happens to be a girl oh my god how exciting you know and as scary as it was to put that out for me it's it's so sweet to see people actually connecting with it and being like this is a really cute gay song thanks (laughs) you've mentioned that that it's the most popular on spotify why do you think it's been so popular i honestly have no idea but I think the sound of the song is very confident and I, you know, for, for a song that I didn't necessarily feel confident writing, the production of it came off in a very like determined way. It has, you know, roots in sort of like this eighties synth vibe that I personally really like and loved playing around with. And I don't know if it's also because it's sort of like a story song that maybe other you know people are responding to, but it does kind of go on a journey in ways that other songs that I've written don't necessarily like, you know, there's very much sort of like an entire world within that song of, you know, talking about like a middle school dance and wanting to ask this girl, but she wants to ask this guy and then helping her ask this guy and then being like, well, why did I do that? That was dumb because now they're happy, but I'm just like heartbroken in the corner. But ultimately the song is about being like, you know, but it's not about that girl that I like. It's about me and learning that I'm capable of loving someone in this way. And that in itself is really special. So I don't know if it's the message or the sound or the story or anything, but somehow people have been responding to it. And that's just, I'm kind of like, you know what, I will ask no questions and I will just take what I can get. Is that the song that you're the most proud of on the album? You know, it's hard to pick a song that I'm most proud of. I mean, I am very proud of that song. And so I want to say yes to your question. But I I also am really proud of the album as a whole because I, I constructed it as a concept album that's, you know, best listened to from start to finish. And I think 
the whole album is what I'm ultimately the most proud of. You know, if people are willing to listen to a song here and there, that's fantastic and amazing. I've waited a while for you to come back round To take another stab at feeling this out I don't wanna spend my life trying to figure this out I don't wanna spend my life But I'll be blue boy if you be my blue jay If we fly away from the green at last Still get this feeling that I should believe in The girl that I was in a dizzy past I'll be a blue boy if you be my blue jay If we fly away from the green at last I'll be a blue boy, I'll be a blue boy Yeah From my standpoint, I'm just really proud of having put all of it together to sort of make for one cohesive thing. So, And how do you want people to feel when they listen to your album? Ooh, I guess I would just want people to come away from it feeling like healing and introspection is, is not only possible, but really can sort of help bridge a lot of gaps that I think a lot of us can feel throughout our life. This sounds really kind of cynical, but as I've been growing up, I find that, well, this is something that I think we all do, but as you grow up, you sort of look back on your life's experiences and maybe notice things that you grew up with that were not helpful to your growth and you want to be able to reclaim that. And I think that is ultimately what I tried to do with this album. So I I think, yeah, if anything, uh, I want people to take away like the essence of be kind to yourself because we're all just we're growing and changing constantly and you know give yourself the room to do that don't feel like you have to be boxed into whatever others think you should be you know i have to say i'm slightly amazed that evie stayed so calm since you dropped in by the way that you had a grand piano in your house because i'm pretty sure that's literally her dream i know i wanted to make a comment it is my absolute dream. <laughs> it's such a privilege. I mean, I I recognize that. I mean, I oh my god. I'm I know that when I move out of my parents' house, I'm just going to be you know devastated to not have a grand piano. So I I totally recognize that I have benefited from a lifetime of joy just from growing up with one. <laughs> just take it with you. Just just take it. Yeah, they won't notice. I mean, I'll try. I'll definitely try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I played piano since I was about eight but I have an electric one. So it's the weighted keys, but it's just not the same. Yeah. But I've started a, a saving pot. Oh, that's I'm a long way off, but you know, I've got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great. I think that's fantastic. So to go back to your album, you've actually included two audio tracks from family videos in the album. Why did you decide to do that? My dad has always been, like, he loves technology. He's so fascinated by technology. And so even, you know, their family videos, he started filming from the 80s when he and my mom both got married. And uh, and so I just sort of grew up with the staple of family videos as, like, a part of my life. I didn't realize that that was actually relatively rare for other people. Like, other people don't have nearly as many baby videos as my dad kept of me and my brother growing up. And funny enough, I was that kid who, for some reason, I convinced myself that I was adopted growing up. 
And like, I just felt emotionally like I don't fit in. So I must be adopted. And I thoroughly convinced myself of this. And so in order to try and, I don't know, find evidence of this, I would watch those baby videos over and over and over again to be like, I see that we're at the hospital, but I didn't actually see me come out of my mom. So I mean, who's to say? And like, I was that really annoying kid. (laughs) So the baby videos, I just sort of grew up with as proof of, I guess, my my belonging to this family. (laughs) But also just as, I guess, another form of like, introspection too. It's uh, it's funny because actually before COVID, I was working at an infant care center and working with babies. And I absolutely love that job. I, I wanted to, to go back so badly, but I live with my parents who are high risk. And so I just had to adapt to, you know, working from home. But I think working with kids and then like seeing my own baby videos and stuff, there's something that's really I don't know. It's unique because it was also, it was the nineties when I was growing up. I mean, 96 was when I was born, but there's sort of like that, you know, VHS grainy feel to these videos that just sort of felt like, yeah, this would be the soundtrack to my life of what I grew up around. And so why not incorporate it into the album to be like, you know, really start from the beginning of all of this. Yeah. No, I love that you included that because the moment I heard that play, I instantly was picturing the videos that we kept as a family as well. And like you say, they're a bit grainy. And we also had some where the camera angle was like totally off or wrong. They're not perfect, but they're just so, they're so funny to watch back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On the other hand, I'm not sure I have any, so I'm now questioning whether I'm adopted without this (laughs) proof. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So in June of last year, you founded something called the Sacrosanct Collective, and we were hoping that you could describe that to us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I essentially, June, um, you know, was when the Black Lives Matter movement just gained so much global attention with the horrific death of George Floyd. And I was, I mean, at that point, still, you know, quarantined at home. um, And I just felt kind of like, how can I, you know do something that is meaningful or impactful in any way, really. Um, And I have always been passionate about um, wanting to provide a space for marginalized voices, even though I identify as queer, mixed race, non-binary. I personally can pass as like a straight white girl to anybody who doesn't know me. And so I bear a lot of privilege in this world. And so with that, I wanted to be able to use that towards fostering a community where people could explore their multiple identities, because I didn't really feel like that was a commonplace thing. And so I have also always loved web design. And so I was just like, you know what, I think I'm going to do this. And um, so essentially, wow, that was a full backstory. But the mission of Sacrosanct is it is a community blog that seeks to amplify the voices and art of queer, trans and non-binary BIPOC. And essentially, we've been able to cultivate sort of a community. We featured over, I think, over 50 artists at this point. And when I say artists, I I don't mean just like musicians, poets, uh, visual artists. Like, I mean, like anybody who falls into the, you know, identity sphere of 
queer, trans, non-binary, BIPOC. I think we've featured a lot of people who have founded their own collectives that are seeking to amplify racial justice and promote like mutual aid and fundraising for smaller organizations that are specifically designed to serve marginalized communities. And so it's just been a really great way to sort of merge art with this, you know, platform that allows people to express themselves authentically and to give them a place where their voice can be heard and respected. Ultimately, this isn't for me. This is for people who literally are not given any space in this world. So yeah, it's it's been a really fantastic, fantastic thing to be a part of. Do you feel like things have changed a lot since you were growing up? Do you feel that there are more spaces now for those marginalized voices? Yes. I mean, when I was growing up, like I, my mom is Japanese and she was born in Japan and came to the States when she was seven with my grandmother. So I grew up with technically second generation Japanese American experience, even though I look white to people, like completely white. And at the time, I mean, growing up, I, I can recall certain instances of, there was one instance where my mom and I were asked to leave a country club <laughs> because we were not white. And I grew up in Los Angeles and it was, you know, the early 2000s at that point. So these sorts of um, experiences were not unfounded to me, even though we're taught to believe that, you know, the fight for equality is long gone. We're all equal now. In my experience, I'm like, that's simply not true. And even just from the time that I was in high school, I feel like so much has changed in terms of with specifically with like the queer community and with social media. I think social media, as much as it can be a tool used for either good or evil, and we've certainly seen the effects of its, you know, negativity, but I think in terms of educating people on just all the kinds of identities that are out there, all the kinds of people that are out there has been a huge factor in the advancement of these ideas and these attitudes that I feel like people are becoming much more open and curious about people who are not just like them, which I think is really wonderful and amazing. And it's certainly carved out space for me to explore who I am. You know, I, I very much grew up believing in you know, I am a girl, I'm going to have a husband one day, and it's time for me to plan my wedding. Also, I'm five years old. Like I was five years old, and people were telling me like, what What do you want your wedding to be like? You know, and th there was just this really, you know, very binary understanding of not only like what you looked like, but how that was supposed to dictate how you behaved and how you acted in the world. And since, you know, growing up, like I've definitely seen a huge shift in uh, people's perception and um, in what they they decide to promote and, um, you know, within their own kids raising them nowadays. And I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. And it's it's been really personally very freeing for me to be growing up in this time where I can be everything that I feel I authentically am. You know, I don't feel that I have to hide and I just want to keep pushing for people to be able to feel that same freedom. How about within the music industry itself? Do you feel like the industry is supporting LGBTQ plus artists enough? You know, I mean, I would always say more, but I think I think things are shifting. I think they can always improve and advance and provide more space and equity. But I do think that there has been a huge shift, particularly in that 
artists are being much more outspoken about their beliefs and their politics and advocating for people who have lesser privileges than them. And I think that is a huge shift from when I was growing up and seeing musicians. It felt very much like, oh, here's an artist who's presenting art for art's sake. And while I do think that that's important, I think I'm I'm very inspired by people who use their platforms as artists to talk about controversial issues and to, to sort of delve into these harder aspects of our reality because just because we ignore them doesn't mean that they're not there. So yeah, I definitely think that there's been a shift and I can't wait for it to keep moving forward. Moving on to a few questions about live music. What has been your favorite live performance so far in your career? Well, I think my favorite live performance, I actually... I had the opportunity to perform at a small cafe called Homebrew. Homebrew Cafe? Oh no, I'm forgetting the name of it. Uh-oh. Anyway, <laughs> but but a friend of mine had uh, from high school had reached out and she worked there and she offered if I wanted to play there sometime. And it was just like an acoustic set. It was just me at the piano and it was a really small space, but it was really fun to be able to sort of have, you know, banter back and forth with the audience and talk about each song. And I don't know, that one was a really special one for me. And do you follow any process or ritual before performance to get rid of any nerves or performance anxiety? The only thing I do is I make sure that my voice is warmed up. And that involves a lot of, you know, hacking up phlegm and (laughs) just sort of being like, all right, if this is loose, then I guess we'll just go for it. Um, (laughs) So no real ritual other than just like vocal warmups and then being, I mean, most of the time when I'm on stage, I just have very awkward banter that I can only hope comes across as endearing. And so that's sort of just like my (laughs) go-to of, um, you know, I don't, I don't, when I go on a stage, I don't try to be anybody else, but who I am and who I am is fairly awkward, but endearing. So that's all I try to be and just make sure that my voice can keep up. (laughs) (laughs) That could be the title of your second album, Awkward and Endearing. (laughs) Awkward and Endearing. (laughs) What message of advice would you give to someone who's thinking about starting a career in music? I would say, well, (laughs) to take from Nike, just do it. That sounds super lame, but... I think the sentiment of it is really true, though, because, you know, you can always find excuses to not do whatever you don't want to do. But if you just do it and you put everything you have into it, then nobody can say that you didn't try. And also a big thing that has been a hurdle for me as well is, you know, try your very, very best. It's impossible, but try your best to not compare yourself to other people that you think are at the same level as you because it's all you're doing is creating unnecessary competition in your own brain. Like it doesn't even exist. Literally everybody is just trying to do what they think is best for their journey and their path as a musician or an artist. And that's all it is. Nobody's out to, you know, get you (laughs) or, or, you know, outdo you with their own stuff. It's just, everyone is on their own path. So if you get caught up in like comparing yourself to others just focus on what feels right to you because there's no one right way to do any of this. You know, you get to define it as you go. And I think once I figured that out and continue to remind myself of, 
those are the moments when I feel the most, I guess, proud of what I'm doing and the most excited about what I want to do. Now, moving away from music for just a moment, we would love to know if you have any hobbies or interests outside of music. Ooh, yes. So outside of music, I I studied theater in college and I studied playwriting specifically there. And so I'm a part of a playwriting group in LA here. It's a residency program this year, which has been really fun. But other than playwriting, I love doing yoga. I love cats and animals and dogs. Like I want, I, my cat actually passed away earlier this last year. And I've just been like, you know what? Give me all the cats in the world. I will love them to death. And I don't even care if that makes me a cat lady. I just think animals are the most precious thing in the world that need to be protected at all costs. That's all. (laughs) I'd love to know, do you approach playwriting in the same way that you approach songwriting? You know, they're actually, as much as they can be similar, I feel like playwriting is more of a space for me to explore other people in my mind, whereas songwriting is just me exploring myself even deeper. I think that over time, those processes will meld and I'll have the courage to sort of explore different identities through music. But so far, playwriting has given me the opportunity to really look at relationships in a critical way, but in like an authentic way to sort of see like, okay, if I could take this one piece of myself, exaggerate it to the max, and that makes up this entire person in when I do that, that person definitely isn't who I am but I can, I can relate to them in some small way. That's sort of what playwriting is like for me when creating characters. And I think the biggest thing is letting them figure out what their journey is. With songwriting, I might have more of an idea of what I want to come across, but with playwriting, I often find myself being led by the characters themselves. What's a normal day like for you? Ooh, well, uh, right now, I wake up, I do yoga, I shower and I eat some food. And then I am currently working from home. So I am a freelance writer right now. And then I try not to have an existential crisis. And then I look at social media and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Try not to have another existential crisis and then go to bed. So that's pretty much been my everyday for the last uh, 10 months. It's really uh taken a toll but hey <laughs> i uh, i enjoy having these moments where i'm not following that schedule so uh so clearly <laughs> yeah it sounds fairly similar to my day except i tried the yoga and i failed at it because i'm too impatient which just led to another existential crisis look existential crises are everywhere it is rough it's it's like you know a minefield you're just having to not step in the right place at the right time you know make sure you're taking care of yourself it's rough so i hear you there we go so we've had 10 months of fairly rough days so what song cheers you up at the end of a tough day Ooh, good good question let's see i okay i love earth wind and fire actually <laughs> i'm just like you know what give me some funky disco and i will just be so happy it's just it's just fun it's just exciting i can hear the songs you know, over and over and over again and never get tired of them. To be completely honest, I think September is my favorite song and anyone who doesn't like it, I 
guess I would like to have a coffee with you and understand why you don't like that song. But like in my attempt to be, you know, empathetic, but uh, I'm just like, you know what, give me funky disco and I will just dance the night away. And that makes me happy. (laughs) There we go. Any fans listening, if you want to get a one-on-one for a coffee, pretend like you don't like the song September. (laughs) That's the only way I'll get to know you. (laughs) And then if you could take the credit for any song ever written, which would it be and why? Oh man, that is a really good question. This might sound silly, but I love the song. Well, I was thinking about this song the other day, but uh, any kind of Christmas song, honestly, any staple Christmas song, but I think like something like White Christmas, that's just sort of, you know, it comes around every year and everyone knows it. And it's just like this comforting, like, oh yeah, White Christmas. And I've actually never had a White Christmas because I grew up in California. So maybe that's another reason why I wish I could have written that song, just to be like, you know what, <laughs> someday I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to have a white Christmas. But yeah, something like that, a Christmas carol or something that's comforting to to people. And they they pull it out every year and just sort of are like, oh, yeah, remember that? Uh, and then put it to rest. <laughs> and then what are your plans for the rest of 2021? Maybe a Christmas album? Ooh, that is a very bold choice. Who knows, honestly? <laughs> With 2021, I, to be perfectly honest, I truly have no idea. Artistically, I I know that I will keep doing music. And, you know, if a project, even an EP comes out of, you know, anything that I write, I will happily put my efforts towards that. But I think right now I'm sort of living in the limbo, as many of us are, but I'm trying to appreciate it for what it is, because I don't think that this period of time will ever be replicated throughout history, or at least I kind of hope not. But uh, <laughs> so I guess plans for 2021, just uh, going with what feels right in the moment and seeing where that takes me. So where can our listeners connect with you online? Yeah, so people can connect with me over Instagram. I'm always happy to receive a message there. That's mainly my form of contact these days i am on facebook as well i have a page on facebook but mainly instagram and now we have one final question for you so if you could bring back any band or artist past or present for one final album who would it be and why oh my goodness wow okay i actually do have an answer for this eva cassidy she is not very well known um, and I think she she did a lot of sort of like folksy music and she had an incredible voice um, and did, you know, some songs here and there, but she unfortunately uh, died when she was in her 30s. And so upon her death, her friends actually compiled like all of the recordings that she did, whether it was a live performance at, you know, like a bar or whatever, and made an album out of her her stuff after she had died. And I would love for her to have the chance to put out something that, you know, she feels is a good representation of her. She has such an incredible voice. She has this one version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow that it's, I mean, we all know that song, but she does such a unique spin on it. I would love to see what she would do if she had the chance to 
come back and and make something of her own as opposed to, you know, I think it's so beautiful that her friends came together and and put together all of her music. But Eva Cassidy, if you don't know her, listen to her. Start with Somewhere Over the Rainbow. She's fantastic. Yeah, we've had some good answers to that question, but that's definitely my favorite. I think she's incredible. Every time I listen to her, yeah. goosebumps. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. I hope that you have a great rest of your day and we're very excited to see what 2021 has in store for you. Oh, thank you so much. It was so wonderful getting to talk with you both. Thank you for listening to the Up and Coming podcast. We hope you loved today's episode as much as we did. Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. We'll be back next week chatting with the alt pop duo Demons of Ruby May. But if you can't wait until then for your up and coming fix, or if you want more information on today's artist and loads of other amazing artists, visit the up and coming blog page. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter for more exclusive content. You'll find links to each one in the description. In the meantime, have a great week.